Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm your host, Danielle Nishida. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Phil Garlett, who's a managing director in our IRW practice. And for those of you who don't know, Phil's one of the true OGs in the information reporting and withholding industry. Phil has an extensive history in IRW, both within and outside the government, and of particular relevance to today's topic, he's doing a lot of work dealing with the implementation of 1446F. So to start with, today we've got an exciting announcement for publicly traded partnerships or anybody holding an interest in a publicly traded partnership. Treasury and the IRS have just released Notice 2021-51, which provides a one-year delay on the 1446F requirements pertaining to publicly traded partnerships. Specifically, the notice does two primary things. The first and most significant change is that the notice delays the applicability dates under Treasury Reg Section 1.1446F-4F, and this is the provision relating to the withholding and reporting provisions on transfers of PTP interests. Now these provisions will apply solely to transfers that occur on or after January 1st, 2023. So this delay impacts the withholding requirements, the reporting obligations, and the need for publicly traded partnerships to update their qualified notices, all of which were previously scheduled to go into effect on January 1st, 2022. The second major change the notice addressed is it also provided for a one-year delay on a partnership's obligation to perform residual withholding on transfers of non-publicly traded interests. And so these provisions were also scheduled to go into effect on January 1st, 2022, and they've now been delayed until January 1st, 2023. And Phil, I think this is great news for the industry. Do you have any reactions? Oh, it's definitely great news for the industry, Danielle. I just don't think people were going to be ready for the January 1, 2022 date. There's still a lot of work to be done. I think one thing that people should take into account, though, is most likely this is it. There will not be any further delays. And given that most people still have a lot of work to do, you don't really want to go light on your effort. You've got the momentum now. My recommendation is keep going. And that's a good point, Phil. So with that in mind, we thought it was a good time to touch base on some of the big issues pending in 1446F, particularly for publicly traded partnerships. One big issue the industry has been waiting on is the updates to the Forms W-8. The IRS has just released draft versions of Forms W-8-ECI and W-8-IMY last week. I will note for purposes of today's podcast, we're just going to focus on the changes to these forms impacting 1446F. However, we do plan on discussing all of the proposed changes contained in those draft forms during our next podcast. So please tune in for that. In the meantime, Phil, can you walk us through the major changes to these forms from a 1446F perspective? Sure, Danielle. I'll address the 1446F changes to the WADCI first. That form added line 12 as a checkbox for a person to certify its status as a dealer in securities that's transferring an interest in a publicly traded partnership and is claiming an exemption from withholding under 1446F. The certification also requires the dealer to certify that any gain from the transfer is effectively connected with the conduct of a trade or business in the U.S. 
without regard to Section 864C8. More important changes, I think, are to the W8IMY. The draft form adds two new lines, 15B and 15C. 15B is for QIs that accept 1446F withholding responsibility for each payment of an amount realized from a sale, notice sale, of a PTP interest for identified accounts, or if no accounts are identified, all accounts. So if you check that box and you don't want to be responsible for all accounts, make sure you designate the accounts. Line 15C is for a QI that accepts primary withholding responsibility as a nominee for each distribution by PTP for identified accounts or, if no accounts are identified, all accounts. If a QI doesn't assume withholding responsibility, it can provide a withholding statement on a pooled basis or by disclosing each partner. In either case, partner-specific allocations are required for U.S. partners. With respect to the NQI certifications, the instructions permit NQIs to provide partner-specific information, but it's important to recognize that this does not reduce the 10% rate of withholding on sales of PTP interest or distributions by PTPs. Last, I'll just mention the Territory FI's uh, U.S. branch certifications were added for those entities to act as a U.S. person. Thanks, Phil. Um, so a beneficial owner investing through an NQI may wonder, what is the benefit of passing up my documentation if I'm going to get hit with 10% withholding anyways? In brief, Danielle, the answer is that the apparent purpose is to allow upstream withholding agents to do partner-specific 1042S, thus enabling the partners to claim a credit for the amount withheld. So that's a good point. You know, another thing that I thought was notable in the draft forms was that the proposed revision date was October of 2021, which suggests that the IRS is planning to release the final versions of the form in October. Obviously, that can change, but that appears to be the plan from what they've written in the draft. Therefore, if the industry has any comments to make on the draft forms, that really needs to be done as soon as possible in September. They usually try to give the industry at least 30 days, but it doesn't look like you're going to have much more than that. And then finally, as of the taping of this podcast, we are still waiting for the release of the draft forms W8BEN and W8BEN-E. But Phil, what changes are we expecting to see from a 1446F perspective on those forms? For the w 8 Ben and the WA Benny, there should be instructions on how to claim treaty benefits, which there's not in the current form. But these claims are probably going to be relatively rare. So I don't think the impact is going to be as big as the W8IMY changes. And why do we expect those treaty claims to be rare? It's the nature of the claim, Danielle. The most relevant claim would be that although the income is effectively connected income under the code, that under an income tax treaty, that income does not constitute business profits attributable to a PE. 
this is going to be pretty rare in most cases, particularly PTPs that are MLPs. They're generally engaged in the energy business, for example. So they'll have pipelines in the U.S., distribution stations, and other assets in the U.S., that would constitute a PE. So it would be very difficult for them to make the claim that they have business profits not attributable to PE. So I think it's going to be a very rare case where we actually see a legitimate treaty claim on a Ben or Ben E. Okay, and I think the IRS had also indicated we should be expecting to see an updated QI agreement in addition to a specific QI rider that would cover the 2022 year. Given that they just issued the one-year delay, I'm assuming that the QI rider for 2022 is no longer relevant, but we are still expecting to see updated changes to the QI agreement itself. Are there any particular points we expect to be addressed in that QI agreement? Yes, Danielle, I anticipate we'll see, as I mentioned before, in connection with the W8IMY, updated instructions to withholding statements. We'll see a line that determines whether or not a QI can accept withholding responsibility and what the conditions are for doing that. And we'll see updated W-8 requirements for QIs. Okay, and I think those are the main pieces of guidance where the government has specifically indicated we're going to see updates. But I think there's a lot of other areas where the industry is hoping to see updates in the regulations or other accompanying guidance where the government hasn't necessarily promised it, but we're hoping. Some of these things are changes that the industry has been requesting consistently, but the government hasn't really been giving any positive feedback on. And I think an example of this would be the request to suspend withholding in the DVP scenarios. However, there are many cases where the IRS has provided some positive feedback orally, but where the position they're taking isn't 100% clearly supported by the regulation. So the industry is hoping for some clarification on that in writing. Phil, do you want to address a couple of these points? Sure, Danielle. I think first, I agree that there's not going to be a change in the DVP rule. I think that's particularly so now that the industry has more time to address those issues. One area that I think may be addressed relates to the timing of documentation. As you know, usually the requirement is that documentation cannot be received any earlier than 30 days prior to a transfer. One exception to that, of course, is for W-9s. They can be received at any time before the transfer. But There's still a question, and that question is, what if you get a W-9 after the transfer? Can you reimburse the withholding or use the set-off procedures? And I think that's a little bit of an open question. So another somewhat related issue, I think, Danielle, is whether brokers can rely on a qualified notice 
issued by a PTP that's based on estimates as opposed to actual definitive numbers. I think our initial reaction would have been no, because by using estimates, you could face the argument that the numbers are not reliable. However, the government has stated that a broker may rely on estimates and that the partnership bears responsibility if these estimates are incorrect. But these have just been verbal statements. This hasn't been in writing. So I'm interested in your reaction to that, Danielle. And I agree with you, Phil. I think my initial reaction was that a broker wouldn't be able to rely on the estimates because by definition, it's an estimate. So it's very positive news for brokers that they can rely on those numbers. But again, I, I think I would want that stated in writing if I were a broker. Maybe, Danielle, just in terms of other issues, it would be nice to see the government actually do something about is a presumption rule regarding non-U.S. PTPs. I've had a number of conversations with a number of clients where basically they're saying, how am I supposed to determine if a non-U.S. entity is organized in such a way that it would be a publicly traded partnership under the U.S. rules? In fact, I don't even know if they would be engaged in a trade or business. And actually, the offering documents may not even be in English. So what am I supposed to do in that case? It would be nice if the IRS would address this, perhaps by presumption rule, that would say as long as an entity is organized outside the United States and does not, for example, issue a qualified notice stating that it has a CEI, that it would be presumed to be not a PTP and so outside the scope of the rules. And I think we've seen the government at least acknowledge that this is a really harsh result under the current rules where you could have a circumstance where a foreign publicly traded partnership that knows nothing about 1446F and has no reason to because they have no ECI is not issuing a qualified notice addressing 1446F. And then you have a circumstance where now you have an exchange of that publicly traded partnership interest outside of the US between two foreign brokers. Technically under the rules, that produces a withhold, a maximum withholding because there's no exception that automatically applies. And I think the government's acknowledged that that's a really harsh result and has seemed to at least contemplate providing an offshore exception. And I think the question is just, the parameters for that offshore exception and how it would end up being drafted in the final rules. And I know that's something the industry is really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, it would be a very welcome change. And I think that wraps up our discussion. Thanks so much, Phil, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of IRW Coffee Break. Don't forget to submit your comments or suggestions using the podcast feedback button on the webcast page. And we hope you can join us again soon.